Well, last weekend I complained about nobody moving the furniture for me, and today someone moved the furniture for me. I have arrived as a VIP around here. Good morning, everybody, whether you're in God's house or at your crib, we're glad you're here. And man, our home folks are so important to us. We pass no judgment. It's all love. We welcome your return one day, hopefully soon. And we're just glad that we're apart, whether again, in-house or out of the house. We're together today. We're in this series and let's jump right to it. It's technically week five on the sermon page. It says week four, but we really kicked it off January 3rd, five Sundays in this month. And so we're not, we're just rolling with this. We're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple for quite some time. Uh, It's the mission of the church. A lot of us stumble. A lot of churches stumble. We've been guilty of this. Uh, It gets foggy and funny and fuzzy and a little bit confusing. What are we here for? We, We veer off and lose our way. And sometimes we forget about our purpose. And Jesus has given the church its mission. And the older I get, I'm, I'm not looking for some stunningly unique vision statement for our church. I'm not looking for us to be better or greater than any other church. In fact, I think it's what we have in common with the global church that makes us strong. But the mission has been given to us. And what is it? Go and make disciples. And we've drew a contrast. I know I'm parsing words here and being somewhat of a provocateur when I, when I say this, but I appreciate a couple of your emails uh, going. I like the tick for tack. Love it. Uh, but Jesus never said, go and make Christians. He said, go and make disciples. And I'm going to say it again. There's no problem we can't solve in this world with apprentices, disciples of Jesus. This revolution of love, look, they needed it then. All right, they need, we need it now. And for genuine people to sit at his feet, to listen with loving hearts to his word and then apply what he says. We're all going to stumble and bumble and fumble on the way. God knows, some of y'all know, I do. You're going to. You, you certainly are because you ain't the preacher. But we're going to stumble. And look, God's looking for sincerity. Remember week one, Second Peter one, like God, his divine power has given us everything we need for godliness. Some of y'all frustrate me because of the living with lack. Just lack. I don't have this. I'm waiting on this. If this, then this. And God comes to us in this and says, Second Peter one, hey, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. So add to your faith, goodness, and knowledge. Add to it virtue, self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection. I can't wait to hug and kiss some of y'all. And love, love. And so as a part of this series, we've dipped into Revelation, right? The ratings go up when you say the word revelation in 2020 and 2021. But we're dipped into Revelation. And here's what I want to say about Revelation. Most of us think about Revelation for what it reveals, Revelation, reveal. You can see that word in the bigger word. What, what does it reveal? When will it end? Hey, preacher, what does this mean? Hey, what about the dragons? And what about the sea? And what about the fire? And what about the moon? And what about this stuff? And what about what I saw on TV? And what about what this guy said? And what does it mean? What does it reveal? But I want to submit to you today, it's not what it reveals that's so powerful. It's who it reveals. And my microphone just fell, but that's not going to be too big of a distraction. And we'll just slip it right back on. But it's not what it reveals as much as who it reveals. And it reveals Jesus. Jesus as he was, Jesus as he is, Jesus as he will be. In Revelation 1, we see Jesus as a high priest. In Revelation 5, we see him as a slain lamb. In Revelation 19, we see Jesus as a coming and conquering king. That's what's so intriguing, isn't it? But every heart in the room, you see the headlines, you see the hurt in your own home. Uh, If you don't see it, follow me around for a week. If you don't think mental health is an all-time high crisis, hang out with me a little bit. But all of us long for a world where it will be made right. 
And we will see that in Jesus, the conquering king. Come on. So Revelation is powerful because of who it reveals. So I want you to do this. You see this coming, don't you? Turn to Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to have it up on the screen. If you're new here, you know we do this. So you don't have to turn unless you want to. I'd love for you to. Revelation 3. Today would be a good day to take notes. Real good day. That's your prompting. If you're not taking notes and I'm looking at you today, then I'm just going to assume that you're going to go back and watch this later and take notes. That's how we roll around here. I'm not judging anybody. We're all good. Be free. Be easy. Be you. You, you be you. Live your own truth. No, not really. Okay. Revelation. <laughs> Sorry. Would y'all pray for my spirit of mockery? It comes out sometimes. My wife reminds me daily to leave my sarcasm at the door when I come home. Revelation chapter 3. So we're going to jump into it, but before, well, let's go ahead. Revelation 3, 7 7 to 13. Now, there's a lot in here that we won't touch. There's a lot that's going to create some, maybe some curiosity for you. It's not my job today to run a seminary class. So uh, I do want to not feed you, but I want to create a hunger that you would want to read more and learn more. Anybody know what it says in Revelation 1? Blessed. What does that word mean? Happy. It means happy is the one who reads these words. Like there can be a blessing in your life. Now, if you're anxious and you're not certain and you're not secure in the good news of the gospel, that you're loved and forgiven, look, if I read Revelation without Jesus, I'd be terrified. I'd be terrified. But blessed are the ones who read these words. It is a blessing to read this. All right, Revelation 3, 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who's holy and true, who holds the key of David. Here we go. This is what I'm going to focus on today. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A bit of context is to the seven churches, the seven lampstands. These seven churches, uh, we've looked at a few of them already. We'll skim uh, over the next couple of weeks as we continue in the disciple series, but it's letters to seven churches. It's We're calling it letters to lost disciples because every church gets a little lost. And we, we saw week one of Laodicea. Do you remember they were lost in, anybody remember? In lukewarmness. They were lost in lukewarmness. Look, Jesus doesn't want you to live a lukewarm life. Lukewarm life. You know who else doesn't? The people you live with. Like, inspire people, by the way. Even in your weakness, inspire people by your genuineness, by your sincerity. Be hot or cold. And that's what God is saying. That's from a heart of love here. Even in wrath, even in judgment, even in the finality of it all, we see God's overarching uh, heart of love for his people. So Laodicea, they were lost in lukewarmness. Last week, we looked at the big church, the mega church. Y'all don't be down on the mega church. The mega church of Ephesus, they were the biggest and the baddest in in so many ways, but uh, they were lost in what? Anybody remember? Legalism. And we contrasted lawyers and and lovers. And we looked at that uh, at the church of Ephesus. This day, it's Philadelphia. It's the church that's different than the seven churches. I guess you could say they were better than all of them. 
Here's the thing about them, okay? Of the other churches all had a rebuke, a charge, or a warning. Like if you hang out with me and you're gonna have to rebuke me and charge me and warn me because I'm fallible, I'm, I'm frail, I, I, don't, I don't have it all together. And that was true of the other churches. So some church, one church was dead, one was falling asleep. Uh, somebody asked me week one, which church are we? I think we can be all seven of them at times. But Philadelphia stands out to me because there was no rebuke, no charge, no warning. You remember, hey, the other churches, hey, this is what's going on good, but I have this against you, let me tell you. Let me warn you, let me charge you. Stop, repent, turn around. It's not just change your opinion. Have you noticed if you change your opinion, you don't really change your life? Socrates, a man persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. But what we need is repentance. What we need is life change. I believe Jesus can do that like no other. I also believe, you can take it or leave it, I believe I'm a testimony to that. Because I've had to stop. I've had to repent and turn around. So the other churches had to do this, but hey, we can breathe a little bit easy today. Maybe I'm not gonna step on your toes too much today. He's saying, hey, Philadelphia, you're doing it right. And he commends them, celebrates two things of the church of Philadelphia. He celebrates their endurance. They got through some hard stuff. And he celebrates their deeds. Now in this passage, I said I wasn't gonna explain it all, but in this passage, it it talks about uh, not going through it. That doesn't mean they're not gonna go through tribulations. Listen, some of us lose faith in God over time because we attach promises to him that he never made. And don't read this and think that God made this church to be problem free. He was talking about the, the tribulation. They wouldn't go through the tribulation. We know historically that at least 10 were martyred from the church of Philadelphia. Like those weren't pleasant deaths. They were closed caskets. And so that's not what he's talking about here. But so there's endurance. They were going through and getting through hard things. And then their deeds. He says, I know your deeds. Is that a little creepy? I know your deeds. Somebody came up to you and goes, I, I know your deeds. Like, somebody's watching me. They, they write songs about that. Everything, everywhere you go, everything you do, I'm all, you know, I'm watching you. I've got my eyes on you. That's just creepy. I know your deeds. Is that scary a little bit? I know your deeds. But this was a praise. The segue was, because what were their deeds? Their deeds were love. You remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you want to finish, anybody finish the sentence? It's 930 crowd, y'all are more mature than the 11. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The worship pastor got it right. I don't, I don't know if I heard any other. If, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. I fed Lauren the answer before the service. Hey, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. Listen, love is tied to obedience. Can I just say, all right, I'm gonna step on toes. Can I just say, some of us think that we can live any way we want to. We think we can live any way we want to and these promises of God will be on the other side. Can I say in love, this may be the most loving thing I'm saying to somebody, you can't live any way you want to. Your life is not your own. Let me be intellectually sound. You can live any way you want to, but not in Christ, not by God's design. And so they were praised, celebrated for their what? Their endurance and their good deeds, but their good deeds were their love. Years ago, a new organization was starting an adoption agency organization. They asked me to MC an event. They said, we're bringing in a speaker. They wanted me to MC. They wanted me to be the funny, shallow guy. And then they're bringing in a substantive, credible, authoritative speaker. His name was Bob Goff. I just heard about Bob Goff at the time. This was a year ago. Y'all know Bob Goff? Shake your head if anybody's awake and with me. Bob Goff's first best-selling book was Love Does. 
And I love that. And Bob was one of the most dynamic speakers I've ever heard. And he puts his cell phone number in his books. And I'm like, let's see if I, and so I, I call him and text him. It's really fun to bug him late at night. But uh, anyway, true story. But Bob Goff wrote Love Does, and he's so right. He's so right because love doesn't sit on the sidelines. Love doesn't sit on the sidelines. Love gets in the game. Love leaves, leaves the bleachers. I don't know if you got a lot of playing time when you were in sports. I didn't much. I focused on academics and artistic excellence. But athletically, I didn't get in the game that much, okay? I didn't get in the game that much. I'll never forget when my basketball coach told me one day, he tried to comfort me on the bench. He said, Robert, uh, I know you're short, but you're slow too. Um, listen, you're not meant to be. When it comes to love, the most important thing in life, you're not meant to be on the bench. You're meant to be in the game. Love does, and that's what Philadelphia was getting right. What if that could be true of us? What if it could be true of Fondren Church? What if we didn't talk about the steeple as awesome as it is? Sea Spire has a tower in the steeple. What if, what if we didn't talk about the stained glass? What if we didn't talk about the handsomeness of the pastor? What if we didn't talk about the pews? And what, what if we talked about our love? What, what if we were known by our love? What if it was a love that led us to greater and greater levels of obedience? What if we showed the world that we love Jesus and we kept his commandments? What if when we fell over and fell down, we would lift each other up? Galatians 6, you who are spiritual, we need some spiritual people around here, not perfect, but some spiritual. You, when you see someone caught in sin, I know your deeds, and, and we restore them with the spirit of gentleness and reverence. I've seen that go both ways. And one way doesn't work, and the other way, it works. Maybe not immediately, but it does eventually to spiritually restore people. So here's what I want to do. I, I told you it'd be a good day to take notes. Don't let this scare you. I think we'll be, it'll be a little bit of a shorter sermon today, but I want to give you 10 10 things uh, that are true about open doors. I told you we're going to focus on this sovereignty of God, that God is the one who opens doors. Do you hear what it said? The door that he opens, nobody can shut. And the door that he shuts, nobody can open. So I'm going to give you 10 things, and here's the first one. Y'all ready for this? Uh, Our lives are filled with open door longing. It could be be a graduation. Y'all know my oldest son's about to graduate college in just, what, three months. I cannot believe that. Would you pray for him to get a job quickly? Would you pray for him to get a job with a competitive salary and comprehensive benefits package quickly? If God could use you in that regard, you can do more than pray. He's got a 3.8 and loves working with people. Maybe it's graduation and you're looking for an open door. We got a bunch of college students at Fonder Church. Some of them are at a retreat. A lot of them are at the Daniel Wagner this weekend at a retreat. Hey, they're gonna graduate soon and they're gonna need an open door to walk through because you go to college for a reason. Maybe it's just a transition, COVID or not COVID related, but there's been a lot of change and all this change has created a tumultuous spirit within you and you need another change. You are looking for a door. Our lives are filled with open door longing. For some of you, it could be an empty nest. The kids are gone and you have freedom and time and and, and irresponsibility. You don't have all the responsibility because they're gone. You haven't known that in decades and there could be a door for you. For some of you, it could be retired. Uh, and, and you're thinking it's not time for death. It's not time for shuffleboard. It's not time for lunch at Piccadilly's every day. But there's some door that God could be opening for you. It could be empty nest or retirement. It could be uh, just you're in a rut. Doesn't matter your age. Some of you, you're saying, hey, my life is safe, but it's not fulfilling. And you know that a door needs because, you know, if your life is safe and not fulfilling, 
then you need a door to open because you want to be more and do more. That's in you. God gave you that ambition. There's a bad kind of ambition, but there's a good kind of ambition the church needs to hear about. And God gave that to you. You could be on the brink. You ever notice, you ever feel something? I'm a feeler. I'm an intuitive guy. I get it wrong sometimes. I have to seek wise counsel at critical junctures of my life, but I'm a feeler. I lead by feelings oftentimes. I'm probably getting trouble saying that, but I, feelings are important to me. I think they can be good things, but I've been in, in my life. Sometimes I feel like I'm just on the brink of something and something's about to happen. I always think it's going to be good. But maybe you're on the brink. Maybe you're not in a rut. You're on the brink of something. But wherever you are, it's true for all of us. Our lives are filled with open door longing. Number two, we approach doors differently. All right, some of you taking notes. I see you. I love you. God bless you. Write the word over here. Write the word impulsive or make it plural, impulsives, because some of us are impulsives. And then over on the other side, write resistors. Because some of us resist, resist, write the word resist, and they put E-R-S, resistors. I don't have this on the screen, right? Impulsive and resistors. And impulsive people, you know this, they go fast. Impulsive people go fast. Resistors go slow. Impulsive people have a, a saying in life, he who hesitates is lost. Resistors have a saying in life, look before you leap. And you notice those resistors, boy, they look, and they look, and they look. What's, what's that? Better not, better just look. Don't want to leap. Got to look. Got to see everything. And an impulsive person, impulsives tend to underthink. Resistors tend to overthink. You already know who you are, right? You already know who the person sitting next to you, you know who they are. Are you impulsive or are you resistor? An impulsive person underthinks. The greatest need for an impulsive is discernment. Which do y'all think I am? Discernment. One of the greatest lessons of my life has been seeking wise counsel from other people. The greatest need for a resistor? Courage. Come on. Example of, in the Bible, to me, it's the poster child of impulsives is Peter. When I read about Peter, man, I'm like, man, he's, he just, he's a whole lot better than me, a whole lot greater than me, but I see those traits. Uh, any of you with me in the impulsive side? Peter was the, the only one to get out of the boat and walk on water. Peter was one who cut the soldier's ear off. Peter was one that said, hey, let's rain down fire on the Samaritans. Peter was always like, let's go for it. Peter was one who said, I'll never deny you. He had so much pride and so much impulsivity. He said, hey, Jesus, everybody else is going to deny you. He knew it was going to get bad. Everybody else is going to deny you, but I'm not going to deny you. He underthought and then he overpromised and underdelivered. He was an impulsive. And over here on the resistors, I think there's so many examples, but Gideon is a good example. He was threshing, Bible says he was threshing wheat in the wine press. Y'all don't know what that means. I don't either. I just studied it this week. Well, here's, a, here's what it's saying. He's dabbling. He's dabbling, and that was a sign. Threshing wheat in the wine press was a sign of fear and timidity. And y'all know Gideon. I bet you know this, some of you. Gideon laid the fleece before the Lord. And I can't tell you pastorally how, I mean, how that's one of the most all-time misunderstood stories in the Bible. Hey, preacher, you think I should put a fleece before the Lord? Hey, I've got this decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like Gideon and put a fleece before the Lord. And lovingly, I've had to tell people, hey, let's, let's dig a little deeper into that story. I don't know what God's will for your life is. I got enough struggle figuring out for mine. 
But the fleece before the Lord was not an act of faith. It was an act of fear and timidity. And God used him, praise God. God can use you, resistors. So impulsive people, look, we all approach doors differently. Impulsive people end up running through a lot of wrong doors. Come on, and we wonder, we're like, what, what, y'all, y'all, hey, you not coming? Oh, don't think about it, just go. You, you hesitate, you're lost, time is short. You know what impulsives need? They, they need to see the value of the resistors. But you know what resistors need? I'm over here, so I'm going to preach harder on this. But resistors need some impulsive people. You need to, if you resist, if you're waiting around, if you look before you leap and you never leap, you need some impulsive people and you need to see their courage. And you know what you need over here? You need to fail. Let me, let me break it down for you. you. This is just Bible here. You need to be scared and trust God. But you need to go. You need to go. Third, God can open a door for anyone. Did you notice this passage in Revelation 3? It says to the church at Philadelphia, uh, now he praised them. I see you. I know your deeds, endurance and good deeds. But he says, your strength is small. I know your strength is small. How do you think they felt? What if someone wrote a letter to Fondren Church? All right, I'm, I'm really invested here. Some of you are just visiting, but pretend you're me or, you know, around me. But if someone wrote a letter, like, you know, an angel or Jesus and said, I hate Fondren Church. I know your strength is small. How would I take that? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be too flattering, all right? That would be a hit. And so I imagine Philadelphia was hit a little bit by that. I know your strength is small, but praise God, he opens doors for people that aren't extremely strong or exquisitely talented. He opens doors for people like me. Can I tell you, I believe he wants to open some doors for Fondra Church. Can I tell you today, I'm not going to go tell evangelists on you, but I think he wants to open some doors for you. And maybe you're thinking, my strength is small. Can I tell you, that's a good place to be. Remember Ephesus? They, they, they weren't there, our strength is small. They're like, we're a big church. We're a mega church. And they veered into legalism. But Philadelphia, man, you're just loving people. And you know what? Maybe, maybe we love better if we realize our strength is small. Maybe we invite the grace of God into our lives at a deeper level because our strength is small. So in your mind, don't close your eyes because it's still too early. You may fall asleep. But think of something big, 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 way bigger than us. Think of a, maybe it's a tree or let's go with a mountain. Think of a, a mountain. That big thing, that big thing is made up of smaller things. That big thing is made up of atoms that are made up of neutrons and protons and even things smaller than that that I probably don't even know of or can pronounce. I mean, to use the word microscopic is an understatement. Things so small. You see, in God's world, he created it all. And in God's world, everything big is made up of small. And everything about the kingdom starts small. And God wants to open doors for anyone. And that's what I see in this letter to disciples. I see that God can open up a door for people like me and for people like you. Number four, sometimes an open door doesn't lead to a new place. Now, if you're 25 and younger, you ain't going to hear me here because your vision is probably outside of Jackson. It's to a new place. Grass is always greener, right? It's the other place. But sometimes... An open door doesn't lead to a new place. Sometimes an open door means, it means staying right where you are and recognizing what you haven't recognized before. Israel, the story of Israel, they thought they were going to be a great nation. They thought they were going to have uh, an abundant wealth and powerful armies. A great nation, abundant wealth, powerful army. God opened the door. Who didn't want that? Abundant wealth, powerful army, 
great nation. That's the door God's going to open. God didn't open that door. They wanted national greatness. God gave them spiritual and moral greatness. And you know what? We read about the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians. And guess what? They've come and gone. Y'all know some history? They've come and gone. Israel is strong today. There's promises of God in that and their legacy. They didn't have anything. They just had a people and a book and a place. And what the door of national greatness was not open to them, but they stayed where they were. Number five, open doors involve a lot of uncertainty. Some of us live with uncertainty better than others. Let me just say, if you're a resistor over here, if you look before you leap and almost never leap, you want everything to be certain. You're looking for the empirical data. You're a modern philosopher, a David Hume, what I can see and hear and test, taste and touch and smell. I've got to have all the empirical data and then I'll do something. Listen, there's so much uncertainty. Let me give you an example. Critical, critical time in the life of a church. Critical time in the life of the New Testament church. They were beginning to, after, after they, Acts 2 tells us they, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship of prayer. Uh, no one had need among them. They were sharing wasn't socialism. It was following Jesus hard and seeing needs and meeting those needs. There were signs and awe and wonder among them. They were clicking. They, were, they turned the world upside down. They were called little Christ because they were disciples. But by Acts 15, problems emerged. There was uh, tribalism and infighting and stuff like that. What really matters? There were false gospels coming in to pervert and distort, to dilute the true gospel. A critical point in the life of the church, and I love this phrase, pulling it a little bit out of context, read it later. Acts 15, 28 says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now, it's the first part that I want to focus on. That just gets me. It, it, it seemed good. <laughs> it, really? I mean, you guys are the leaders of the church. There's a whole lot at stake. The Jesus movement right here, if it's going to move forward into its greatness or it's going to fall back, it's going to go out of existence, critical point, and it seemed good? Does that get anybody else? I mean, it seemed good. In other words, they didn't know. Here's what Revelation 3 doesn't say. Here's what the Bible never says. It says, I have laid out an opened door. Now, if you're into grammar, I'm into grammar. It says an opened door. Did you hear that? Not an open door, but an opened door. There's a difference. God, there's a lot of open doors, but this is a door that God has opened. Not just an open, but an opened door. And in this, the church walked through. Hey, listen, it's so easy to want to shrink back. God said, I've opened a door. I've set before you an open door. He didn't say, I've given you a set of detailed instructions. How many of you like detailed instructions? How many of you want to go and have it, have the, have it you know, laid out before you, A through Z, and this widget goes in this thing, and you tighten this, and lefty-loosey, righty you know, Everything's laid out. Like That's good for a home improvement project. My wife doesn't trust me with any of that stuff anymore for good reason. But look, some things you want a detailed set of instructions for. Sometimes you need it. Small engine repair needs, I need it. You don't get that in the scripture. Sometimes you have to live with the uncertainty of it seems right. It, really? I've been taught differently. Really? I'm telling you the scripture. 
It is full of uncertainty. It seemed right. In other words, just like a parent, like when my kids are little, I tell them, brush your teeth, do your homework, don't hit your sister, go to bed, say your prayers, be nice to your mama. Don't you talk to your mama that way. I give them very specific instructions of what to do. And that's how it works. But they're older now. They're almost 17, almost 20 and 22. I don't want to tell them what to do all the time. I want them to be wise and make decisions and to be discerning and to think for themselves. Can I say that's God's heart as a parent for you? And some of you aren't walking through a door that God has opened for you or is about to open for you because you want a detailed set of instructions and you ain't going to get that here. Will he? Can he? Will he? Sometimes. Can he? Anytime. Does he? Not very often. Number six, an open door doesn't mean an easy life. Uh, we think it's like this. We think there's a calling. Anybody ever, have you ever told anybody God has a calling on your life? It, it's very common in vocational ministry. For, maybe for your occupation or your, where you are in life, it's not common. For, for me, it is. I've been around pastors. I was with some this week out in Fort Worth, Texas. Sometimes pastors talk about their calling. I never really heard a voice. Did I, did I not get a calling? Did I not get a calling? And sometimes we think there's a calling and then deep peace. And then after deep peace, we're obedient. And after obedience, it's smooth sailing. That's what we think. That's what we want. Calling, deep peace, you step out, obedience, and then smooth sailing. Eh. No. No. Here's what you get. Calling, right? Calling, abject terror, serious fear, second thoughts, obedience, reluctance, trepidation, more second thoughts, which would be third thoughts, abject terror, greater than the other original abject terror. But you ready? You ready? Deeper faith, all right? Deeper faith. If you want smooth sailing, then you can be a nominal, safe Christian. And America's full of them. But if you want your faith to grow, you take the calling of God on your life that won't be as certain as most of you want it and step out in faith and experience all the abject terrors. Experience all the second guessing. Get to a place when you're around the most godly people and they say, it seems like this is what we should do. And the result will be deeper faith. Come on. Number seven, is that where we are? Feeling ready is highly overrated. How many of you like to feel ready before you do something? Ready, set, go. You did that when you were a kid. Ready, set, go. But you gotta be ready. What happens if you're not ready? If the other guy's not ready? Stop the race. False start. Bring it back. Argue. Fight. Because you gotta be ready. You gotta be equally ready. You gotta be ready, they gotta be ready. Ready, set, go. But feeling ready is highly overrated. Real quick, I'll try to give you nine real fast. Moses. By the way, feeling ready is highly overrated. Here's the thing, there's always excuses. Moses, I am slow of speech. I got a fat tongue. That's what the Hebrews say. I got a fat tongue. I am, I am not eloquent. Gideon, I'm the weakest of my clan. I'm the least in my family. 
Abraham, I'm too old. Jeremiah, I'm too young. Isaiah, woe is me, God, I am a sinful man. My lips and my heart is unclean and impure. I'm too sinful. Esther, hey, if a man or woman goes to the king, they likely could get killed. It's too dangerous. The rich young ruler, hey, you know what, Jesus? I love my wealth. Scripture says he went away sad. Ruth, there was famine in the land. I'm too poor. Samuel, you know, I'm sorry, Saul, you know about Saul? It says, one translation says in 1 Samuel 10, 22, it says that he was hiding among the baggage. Where are you, Samuel? Oh, he's, hey, where's Samuel? Y'all seen Samuel? He's hiding among the baggage. You talk about baggage. Some of you got baggage. Samuel was hiding. Um, Saul was hiding. Let me get it right. Saul was hiding among the baggage. So let's break that down. I think I gave you nine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm inarticulate. I'm weak. I'm sinful. It's dangerous. I'm too young. I'm too old. Uh, I'm too poor. I'm too rich. I've got too much baggage. When will you ever be ready to walk through a door that God has opened for you? Just tell me when, because it seems like You'll never be ready, ready, ready. Being ready is, notice my words, is highly overrated. I'm not leaving room for subtlety. Push back if you want, but I'm not leaving room. It's highly overrated. You know when Jesus gave the Great Commission, go and make disciples, do you know that, it's, that he lost one? He had 12 and he lost one. That's not good. You want the numbers to go up. COVID, bringing our numbers down. Pastors, hanging in there. Numbers down. Do the best you can. Jesus' numbers went 12. Do you know what 12 means in the Bible? I won't get into it, but it's, it means wholesomeness. It means wholeness. It means preparedness. It means readiness, completeness. It's, there's symbolism behind the number 12. Jesus started with 12. He had 11 when he said, go and make disciples. So he's, the numbers are down, and apparently the faith is down. Because when the Great Commission was uttered post-resurrection, it says that some worshiped and some doubted. All right, not only are your numbers down by one, the faith is down. So Jesus didn't say, all right, come here. Let's take six weeks, six months, six years, and let's get our numbers up. First, get your numbers up. Oh, well, you know, first, let's work on our faith. Jesus didn't say, first, get your numbers up. First, work on your faith. Jesus said, go, and we'll work. Don't, don't worry about the faith thing. Don't worry about the numbers thing. Work on the obedience thing. Be obedient. And I'm telling some of you, be obedient and see what God does. Be obedient. I was talking to a young man this week. He was bragging. And I was smiling because I was like, yeah, he's kind of got the swag and just things are going right. And he's telling me about his job and everything, every turn he got a promotion. And he told me, he said, Robert, every turn I've gotten a promotion. Every turn I've got a promotion. And you know what? I'll break it down like this. Now he's going he's to get humbled pretty soon. But right now he's just doing everything the boss says. He's just doing everything. He's kept it really simple. And everything the boss says he's doing and he's getting promoted. Obedience. Look, don't overestimate the power of surrender and obedience. And Jesus is saying, you're never gonna be ready. And you know what, he, he didn't say, go now that you're ready. He said, go and I'll be with you. Because he knew they weren't ready. But deeper faith. Number eight, we waste time knocking on wrong doors. James chapter four, you don't have because you don't ask. I, listen, don't miss this. Don't miss it in my preaching. I'm, I'm kind of weak on this sometimes. Ask God. 
knock. Jesus said this about doors. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the what? The door will be open. Get after it. And some of us do not have, I believe it with all my heart, some of you don't have because you haven't asked. Now you're worrying out loud and you're calling that prayer, but you haven't asked God. Man, that's, ugh, that's so foundational. I think we're missing it. Think about that later. But then it says in James 4, half-brother Jesus says, you, you, you don't have because you don't ask, but some of you, you ask and you don't have because you ask to consume it upon your own lust. I'm going to say it again. You can't live any way you want to and expect God to open doors of blessing for you. No, you can't. And I want to say in love to some of you, stop wasting time knocking on the wrong door. And that's really harder if you're in isolation. If you're living in community, you got people around you going, look, I've had it in my life. Hey, hey, RG, I think that's the wrong door. Hey, I think you're asking, no, nah, I, I would leave, I'd step, I'd step over here. That's the wrong door. The disciples were, hey, what, remember Peter, James, and John, at one point they asked Jesus, they wanted to upgrade their heavenly seating assignment. And so they went to the, the ticket counter there and Jesus was in charge of the airlines. And they said, hey, when we, when you, when we get, we want to sit at your right and, and, and no, that's, no, that's the wrong door. And in love, I want to say, stop wasting your time knocking on the wrong door. Number nine, we are rolling almost at the end of this thing. The Bible has as many closed doors as open ones. Y'all, I've taught you a few of this before. It's kind of the Garth Brooks theology of thank God for unanswered prayers. And, uh, you know, the story, I, was, I went back to a high school homecoming football game, and he, he remembers the girl that he used to pray for that he wanted, and he sees her, and he thanks God for unanswered prayers. And I did that several years ago at a high school event. I went back and saw the girl that I used to date, and I saw her whisper that out loud as she looked at me, thank God for unanswered prayers. But, hey, look, there were doors that you prayed God would open, and he closed them. And at the time, you resented him. Because listen, there's nothing like closed doors that make you, that diminish your worth and make you feel like heaven doesn't care. But in the scripture, there's as many closed doors as there are open doors. Number 10, in closing, the way you steward closed doors will affect your open doors. And as we get round toward home, I want to ask Lauren and the team to come up and... Uh, There'll be a bit of a distraction, but stay with me here. I want you to hear this last point. The way you steward closed doors will affect your open doors. The word steward, here's the implications of that. Not the definition, but the implications. Your life is not your own. It's not about you. You've been bought with a price. Live for him. The way you steward the closed doors will affect your open doors. Here's another way to put it. It's almost like 10B. It's like you're getting more for your money today. This is really 11 of a 10-pointer. How you endure this season will affect how you enter the next season. Quickly, man, I was single uh, by Mississippi standards. I was single for a good while out of cause. This year and the next 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 year. I know that's hard to believe with, with you know, just hard to believe. But I was single for a while. 
And it was important how I stewarded my single years. And I want to say to you, for anybody that needs to hear it, listen, that was important because how I endured that, if you will, I'm not saying it's a curse, it's a blessing, it's a calling for some people. God bless our single people. We need you, we love you. You're just as valuable as married people. Don't believe any lies or myths from the pit of hell. But for me, I was, year after year, I, I began to believe some things and think some things, but I had to steward that well and trust God for goodness in my life and how I entered marriage had a lot to do with how I endured and walked through those single years. Your finances, I've known some hard financial times. I've walked away from comfortable, cushy, cozy jobs and needed to fully trust God to come through. You know what, he has every time. You know when we've stopped giving, never. You know, when we took what the Bible says about tithing and generosity and pushed it to the side out of fear, we've never done that. Am I perfect? I'm not claiming that. I'm just telling you there's some power and obedience. I'm telling you my story, believe, believe some good in me. But how we, how we, Susan and I have stewarded our finances has ushered in other doors of blessing in our life financially. And do you ever feel a little weird and hypocritical if you don't do what God says financially, you disregard what the scripture says? And you, you disregard it, but then you, you don't get the promotion or the job or you're having trouble. And then you, you ask God for his blessing. Does that, ever, does that feel funny ever? I'm just asking. That's got to feel a little funny. You disregarded what he said, but then you need his help. Aren't you grateful for his grace though? How you endure offenses. Can I say this? How you endure offenses. When you've been done wrong, it will affect how you enter the next season. And God, have you been hurt? A spouse, an employer, a church, God forbid, a pastor. Uh, somebody's hurt you and you've been offended. Been, you, you, you've, you, you, you've hurt by it. You're bitter by it. When people have been offended and they show up without forgiveness and grace, without walking in the light of the gospel, you know it. You know it. And I think there are closed doors. What does Revelation say? You know, there's some some things, I'm gonna quit in a second. There's some things that aren't in the Bible. There's just some things that aren't in the Bible and we we think there are. This too shall pass. How many of you think that's in the Bible? Don't raise your hand, that's not in the Bible. God works in mysterious ways. That's in the Bible, right? That's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not in the Bible. A friend of mine thinks uh, that dog won't hunt is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. He thinks, that, hey, pastor, where's that, where's that verily, verily I say unto you, that dog won't hunt? Is that in Proverbs? That's not, that's not in the Bible. Here's what's not in the Bible as we close. When God, you see this coming, when God closes a door, he opens a window. That's not in the Bible. That's in the sound of music, but not in the scripture. Here's what the scripture says. What God has opened, nobody can shut. God is shut, nobody can open. To be a follower of Jesus, it's just to rest in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. So all 10 at one time, right here. If you're at home, which of the 10 could speak to you most today? Which of the 10, all of you, which of the 10 might need to be stirred up in your life this week let's go around the room we'll start right here with, no, I'm just kidding. 
would you stand? We're going to end it with a song. We do that always. And then we're going to today uh, participate in the act of communion. And it's around us, isn't it? We have elements of cup. And um, you were given a cup. And at the top of that, um, you can peel that back. And um, there is a, a wafer, a cracker that represents the body of Christ. A body broken for you juice a cup that represents blood shed for you scripture tells us he who knew no sin became sin for us and so Jesus said do this in remembrance of me it's an act of worship where we we take the bread and we eat it you can do that now or in a moment during the song it, it's your timing you can eat that bread as a, as a confession of Jesus you died for me you gave for me you drink the cup as a confession of his blood shed for you of the ability to walk in a new life, to receive the grace of a Savior. And can I say this in closing? It's not point 10B, C, or 11, or 12. But nobody knows the closed door like Jesus. In fact, in Revelation 3, we read it a few weeks ago, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's your choice. It's my choice. The confession you make now with the cup, with the bread, with the cup, is I have opened the door, Jesus. You're my Savior. You're my Savior. Father, bless your people. And God, I pray for individual lives, and I pray for Fondren Church to be a church to walk through opened doors and ultimately trust the sovereignty of God. For the one or ones who are hurting because of closed doors, who feel diminished in their humanity, who feel like heaven has forgotten them, I pray great comfort a spirit of surrender and openness of the work that you might be doing thank you for the deeper faith that comes as disciples of going and doing what you said in Jesus amen